Welcome to episode 194 of the Ski Podcast, and thanks for joining us, listener. Today, we're going to be finding out everything about Innsbruck in the Tyrol region of Austria, plus looking at a genuine bucket list ski trip, heli skiing in Chile. Now, my name is Ian Martin. I'd like to introduce my guest today. Uh, firstly, for her first time on the show, I'm delighted to welcome Eleanor Protopopov from Tyrol. Hi, uh, Eleanor. How are you? Hi, Ian. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm very excited I managed to pronounce your name correctly. We had a little chat in the blue room about, uh, you know, how you came <laughs> with a Russian name to Innsbruck, but we might discuss that a little bit later on. You are in Innsbruck right now. How's it looking outside? It's perfect. I mean, we had a lot of snow over the last two weeks, so we're all happy, you know, compared to last year where we had a lack of snow this season and the opening of it was great yeah we love that and what what altitude is uh, you know we'll discuss Innsbruck in more detail but what altitude is Innsbruck oh it's um, 562 meters is there snow on the floor at the moment yes it's outside I could show you outside in my garden (laughs) I do have a lot of snow yeah Okay, that that is good. When the snow line's down to kind of 500 metres, then that is, you know, very encouraging. Well, we'll talk about snow a little bit later. Uh, Secondly, we've got Lucy Aston, ski editor at The Telegraph. Lucy's been on the show a number of uh, times before. How are you, Lucy? I'm very well, thank you, Ian. Very excited for the start of the season. Whereabouts are you today? I am at home up in Preston today. Okay, has it been cold up there? Any chance of snow? We were in the lakes last weekend. I don't know if you all saw in the news the big snow that hit the Lake District and we were up there. So yes, it's been lovely and wintry. I was feeling a little left out for not being in the Alps with all this epic snow they've had. And then when it fell in the Lake District, I thought someone is looking down on me. I was very lucky. I'm sorry, did you take your skis out there then? So we did, yes. I'll um I'll answer that question when you come to it. Well, as you know, Lucy, I do like to ask people, uh, you know, around this point in the show when you last skied or snowboarded. So go on then. You were last skiing on skis uh, I, in the UK. Yep. The last time I was on a pair of skis was on Sunday morning on Lowrig Fell in the Lake District, about a mile outside of Ambleside. So when we saw the snow had fallen, <clears throat> we've never actually skied in the Lake District, which is a crime considering how close we are we'd set out to go and ski on there they do have a resort up there on the back of Helvellyn and Rays but actually the snow stopped in the middle of the Lake District and they didn't get it that far up so we stuck to the South Lakes and um, were brave I strapped the skis to the back of my husband's backpack and we just thought we'll just go see where we can slide it wasn't pretty it wasn't long, but I was sliding somewhere in the snow. It was great. I, I love that. I mean, I do recall we've uh, we've covered skiing in the Lake District on the podcast before. I think it was, I'll put a link in the show notes. I think it was Simon Burgess. And there is a webcam that you can check the whole time, mm-hmm. can't you, to see what the status is? Because they, they run the lift there when there's enough snow. But you were, you know, self-propelled when you were doing it, right? Yeah, definitely. And we so we were watching that webcam. It's like a live feed on Twitter. And they have a really active Facebook group. Um, and they keep updates in there. Um, and we kind of drove towards that part of the lakes to see what if we could see snow on the tops. And it was just obvious that there wasn't enough. Um, so stuck to the South Lakes and thought, we'll just see what we can do. 
um, took a pair of old battered skis because you're not wanting to take anything nice and fresh in those conditions. So Right. And what was the kind of biggest descent you got? Are we took <laughs> like a couple of hundred metres or 20 no, metres? literally probably about 10 metres because it's like right. they're not designed for it around there. This is why I put a post on Instagram and I was like, this is not promoting skiing in the Lake District. It wasn't fun. Well, no, it was fun. It just wasn't pretty or long. Right. Well, it's okay. just the novelty of it all, isn't it? Great. Right, Eleanor, let me ask you then the uh, same question. When did you last ski or snowboard? So I'm a skier. And yeah, the last time was last year, actually. I couldn't make it. Um, but yes, I'm really excited to ski. The first time of this winter season, the upcoming, yeah, weekend. <laughs> right. You're going to be skiing this weekend, are you? Where, yes. where will you go? Probably Kutai. I mean, um, I, I'm not sure. So we do have, you know, a lot of surrounding skiing areas. Altogether, yep. 13 surrounding. My favorite, I would say, is, yeah, skiing area is Seafeld. Okay, excellent. Well, we're going to discuss some of those ski areas around uh, Innsbruck a, a little bit later on. Um, I will be out in the Alps, I think, in nine days' time in, in Les Arc now, going out on the inaugural uh, Eurostar snow train. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I've been looking at the uh, forecast, and it seems that there's even more snow to come coming in like on the back of uh, this weekend uh, coming up but le let's have a listen to a few snow reports we've had some sent in i've got uh, tim reporting in from the dolomites from inspired italy andy butterworth from st anton he's from kaluma travel and uh alex armand from tip top uh, ski coaching normally in ladies out but uh, working out in chavina at the moment she sent us a report from there Buongiorno Ian, it's Tim from Inspired Italy here in the Val Gardena in the Dolomiti Superski area in northern Italy. Lou and I have been out skiing today in the Val Gardena, specifically on the Cerceda mountain above Ortizia in Santa Cristina, and it was absolutely wonderful. Little bit of sunshine, slopes are in immaculate condition, perfectly groomed uh, all the way down, good base, Pretty packed, perfect carving conditions, and that is what we have been doing. Just went out for a couple of hours, and it was really, really fantastic. So Dolomiti Superski are currently reporting 236 of the 450 lifts are currently active and open. And of the 1,200 plus kilometres of skiing available, 544 kilometres are currently open. But that's pretty much changing every day. Alpa di Susi, for argument's sake, is going to open tomorrow. But the big news is that the Saleronda opened today clockwise and anti-clockwise which is great news that's always the central feature of the Dolomiti super ski area except for the fact in a week's time we have the men's world cup downhill on the Saslong the Val Gardena downhill and as you may have seen in the news we're expecting an extra race there next week so racing will start on the Thursday the 14th and then the Val Gardena race is um, true on the 15th and the 16th. Everybody getting super excited about that. We're excited because we're going to go. And uh, hopefully we'll send you a report from, uh, from there. Hi Ian, hi everyone. Andy over in St Anton doing another epic weather report. I've been lucky enough in the last week to ski in both Courchevel 1850 and St Anton. I can tell you that Courchevel was good. Managed to ski on the second day of the lifts opening um, in blue skies lovely powder thigh deep in places beautiful piece it was quite busy for an opening weekend which is a very good sign because some of the best snow some of the best ski opening that Courcheval has had in in many a year that was good but St Anton Austria was epic it is epic 
it's probably the best December snowfall, the most amount of snow in a December in 20 years. The locals are all talking about it. We're all talking about it. Everyone's excited by it. And we're really hoping it brings good omens for a snowy season ahead. Uh, having skied a couple of lovely runs, it's fresh powder all the way. Um, in the mornings, it's still quiet and beautiful and sunny. And you're probably looking at round about sort of the last four or five days have been shin deep on the piece uh, in the morning. It's been really that good. Um, off the piece, up high, some places haven't opened yet. Why? Because there's too much snow. Can you have too much snow? Well, sometimes, yes, you can. This early in December, um, there's there's about three metres snow depth up at the very top, at the top of Schindler. Um, it really is pretty epic. Uh, November, the end of November, brought heavy snowfalls and some freezing rain, which really packed down the base up on the mountain. So it set the base uh, mid to end of November really, really early, which was great for the snowfall to come. And December has just been dump after dump after dump it's been knee deep in the mornings digging your car out going to work kind of deep um the ski opening weekend was epic um the first day was a little bit overcast and snowy the second day was blue sky powder day an absolute bluebird banger um the slopes were busy with all the locals making the very most of the epic snow conditions the forecast is good it's due to stay cold which is perfect for the snow um it's snowing as i speak now on the wednesday evening just before the podcast gets recorded um so there's probably going to be a good 10 15 centimeters on the floor when i wake up in the morning um so uh yeah that's the kind of report as it is at the moment courcheval has been good but saint anton has been epic it is epic and if the forecast rings true uh, and at least in the, the next week ahead it's due to be a fantastic december of snow if you haven't booked a holiday yet i urge you to look at the webcams don't take my word for it take the snow god's word for it look at those webcams um, and, and book a holiday the slopes are quiet the conditions are absolutely perfect you don't want to miss out that's a snow forecast from san anton um, wishing you all the best and look forward to speaking to you again soon cheers hi there this is alex armon from tip top ski coaching this time bringing you a snow report from Trevinia, where I am for a couple of weeks with non-stop snow before going back to Les Des Alpes next week. So we've had heaps and heaps of snow uh, last week uh, and we've had snow overnight and blue skies at the moment for this week, which is perfect. The piece are in great condition. We're skiing all the way back down to the village. Uh, fresh snow on the piece in the morning, nicely groomed underneath. Uh, hero snow, absolutely wonderful. Such a good start to the season. Right. This seems like a good point to remind you, listener, that you can save money this winter when you book your ski hire at intersportrent.com and use the code SKI PODCAST. Uh, you get a guaranteed discount for all ski hire in France, Austria and Switzerland. And to make it even simpler, you don't even need to use that code. You can just take the link in the show notes and your basket will automatically be reduced. So if you want to support the SKI PODCAST, please do remember to book your ski hire with Intersport and use the code SKI PODCAST at the checkout or take that link in the show notes. Now, I've got a few bits of uh, news uh, items. We've released a couple of uh, episodes uh, of the podcast since our last regular one, I suppose. Really interesting interview I did with Jamie Grant, the founder of uh, Carve. That was episode 193. And then just released our first equipment special with Al Morgan, where we're looking at skis. So that that hasn't been uh, given an official number, but that's a good one to catch up with. Just out of interest, in terms of Carve, 
uh, we were talking in that interview about the uh, app and the, the gamification side of things is uh, great. I had a quick look to see what the top scores in the last week have been. It's 153 in France by someone called Jose Lopez, who is skiing in uh, Val d'Isère. But in Austria, it's 161 by someone called Janus Hecht. So I don't know if that means you get better skiers in Austria or not. It set me a target. I think my highest ever uh, uh, ski IQ is 152. So I'll try and get that uh, when I'm in Les Arc. A bit of Team GB news. Excellent news for Charlotte Banks and Hugh Nightingale, who uh, won the first uh, team at Snowball Cross of the season, uh, backing up their win at the World Championship last winter. You can actually have a listen to uh, me chatting with Charlotte Banks about that win in episode 188. Kirsty Muir, she got a second in the uh, Ski Big Air in uh, Beijing uh, at the same location. Uh, Mia Brooks came fourth in the snowboard uh, equivalent. And in cross country, Andrew Musgrave got a fifth out in Sweden. And uh, if you'd like to uh, listen to my interview with him, back two years ago now, I interviewed both uh, Andrews, Andrew Young and Andrew Musgrave. And you can track that one down. I'll put a link in the show notes. And then also uh, 19-year-old Matteo Gineson, who I must admit I'd never heard of uh, before, uh, picked up sixth in the uh, Moguls World Cup uh, season opener in Ruka. So that was an exceptionally good weekend for Team GB. And this weekend, uh, we've got Val racing going on with uh, Dave Riding and the rest of the slalom team. So we'll be watching out for that. Now, a big item of news that's happened in the last week or so is it's been announced that Vale Resorts are buying Cromontana. Probably, listener, you'll know of Vale Resorts. You'll certainly have heard of Vale. And they own a lot of resorts in the States. But uh, about... Three years ago now, I would say they bought Andermatt, or certainly a substantial stake in Andermatt in Switzerland. And now they bought uh, Cromontana. And this is, you know, very interesting to me. And I, I wondered, um, Lucy, if you have any thought on this, the direction and you know, how it might change things for people who are going to Crom. Yeah, I um I saw that news come through and thought it was actually really um it's a really interesting headline and there's a lot to dive into with it because when they did um the and Andermatt thing the other winter it was around COVID so we didn't really see much impact immediately if that makes any sense and I think the bigger interesting part of this is around the Americanization of the Alps and the impact these huge American companies are having on European resorts and what it will mean for British skiers. Does it mean there will be big investment and the resort will improve? I was a little bit shocked that it was Crans Montana because as a resort on its own, it's done a lot of development in the past few years. Lots of new hotels really expanding its appeal to skiers. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a really interesting news story. It'll be interesting to see what they announce in terms of investment and development, what it means in terms of ownership of hotels, accommodation and restaurants, because in America, they'll own a lot of what is on the mountain. So it'd be interesting to see if that model comes back across to Europe and what it means for ski holidays. I think I read that the deal, it clearly involves a lot of stakeholders. You know, they have bought maybe 12 mountain restaurants and a mm. bunch of uh, properties, as well as a majority share in the lift company. And I think that part of it is um, part of that positioning of the Epic Pass, which is, you know, one of these passes that covers a lot of resorts because um, the other probably largest one, the Icon Pass, cover has for Americans 
quite a, a lot of substantial skiing in Europe now. You can go to Zermatt and Chamonix and Dolomites, uh, uh, etc. And so I think that possibly, you know, they're uh, they're looking, you know, being able to build more value into that. And um, they haven't bought any Austrian resorts yet, Eleanor. Do you, do you think that might be the next step for Vale Resorts? Can you imagine them buying up in Austria? Could be, yeah. Does it concern you at all, the idea of, uh, you know, the, the Americans coming over here and, uh, you know, buying up European resorts? I mean, somehow, yes. I would say this is a whole process, right? So I'm not scared at the moment, but let's see what the future will bring. But um, yeah, of course. Yeah. Well, uh, I don't think that deal is going to go through until later uh, in the season. So I don't think we're going to see anything immediately in terms of uh, uh, Montana, but uh, we'll definitely be uh, following that uh, story and uh, I'll be I'll be listing out for any other potential acquisitions they might have. Right, Lucy, I'm going to move on to you, uh, if that's okay. Um, I wanted to have you uh, on the show. You've been on, you know, several times before, but um, during the autumn, I suppose, I noticed uh, on Twitter that you'd just taken a trip out to uh, Chile, which would definitely be a bucket list trip for uh, for anyone. It sounds fantastic. I saw a few photos. You haven't written about it yet for the Telegraph, so I like the idea that we're sort of getting an exclusive. Uh, c- c- can I be scooping you on your own story? Yeah, yeah maybe you might be. <laughs> But um, regardless, I just wondered, like, firstly, what were the logistics? You know, how did you go about it? How did you get to where you were? So the whole trip is um, organised and operated by a company called Eleven Experiences. And they are an American-based set up. They they have a property in the French Alps. They have a property in Iceland. And they're all based around remote locations. They are trying to promote and expand. They've expanded a lot in recent years. And they, um, we have covered their French property. And they came to me and said, how do you fancy uh, heli skiing in Chile? Hell, I, I, I take it you spent quite a long time thinking yeah. about whether or not you might do that. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, I don't know. It sounds boring. No, I was like, <laughs> are you serious? Um, because as you say, Ian, it's it's a bucket list trip, and <clears throat> I really think it's appealing to the British skier. Whether they'll do it is beside the point. It's just a fascinating place to read about and a fascinating story to tell. So Eleven helped a lot with the logistics. In terms of what those logistics involved, it's probably, I'm going to say, the furthest I've ever travelled. We went to Japan mm-hmm. last winter, and I think that was me going the furthest and I think this was this probably topped that so logistically it's I live up in the north if I lived in London it would have been a little bit shorter so I flew down to Heathrow and then it was Heathrow out to Santiago um overnight flight direct I think it was around 11 hours I'm gonna have to check that but it's a long flight and you land into Santiago as the sun comes up and watching sunrise over the Andes Mountains out the plane window was absolutely incredible. Like I was like, okay, we've peaked and I've not even landed yet. So then from Santiago, you take an internal flight um, south. So most of Chile's main um, ski resorts are based up in the northern part around Santiago. You can get to a lot of them from the city. But the 11 base is further south towards Argentina. So it was an internal flight. And I think that was about an hour and a half um, south to a place called Portamont. 
Um, and from there, it was all a bit like ambiguous. I wasn't sure. We knew we were being collected. And I just assumed that be in a car, like when you land in France and you get picked up on transfer. Um, no, that was picked up in a tiny little charter plane. So about 10 seats in this plane, which then flew us across, like across the coast and then into Patagonia for about 45 minutes to a tiny little airstrip called Palena. Um, and then I thought, okay, we're finally going to get into a vehicle. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm going to touch solid ground. And as we landed, one of the most dramatic air uh, flights I've ever taken, just incredible, there's two helicopters waiting. So from there, the helicopters pick you up and take you about three minutes down to the lodge. So, yeah, logistically complicated, but the journey in itself is just show-stopping. So just to reiterate then, you've got a flight to London, flight to South America, a flight along the coast, then another one, then a helicopter, and you end up in the lodge. Did you do all of that in one journey, in in one go? Yeah, in one sitting. So I think how I long, how long did that take you? I think it was it was over twenty four hours or around twenty four hours. I think I left Manchester. It was a four pm, three pm flight, and Chile time. I was probably there at about four pm. So working a bit of time difference, which the time difference actually isn't as bad as I expected it it's quite manageable there wasn't that jet lag thing that I was worried about um so yeah it was a, it was a long time it was a long journey but the payoff is so at this point you're at um the the, the lodge which is somewhere near Palena uh, did yeah. you say yeah. uh, so you, you you're close to the Argentinian border it's the it's the south of Chile that's Patagonia right yes so we're in that deep in Patagonia at this point yeah and then this is the payoff then you get to do your <laughs> heli skiing right Exactly. So you are then based, and this is part of the 11 um, mantra, is you are in a totally remote location and everything on your doorstep is untracked, untouched and uninhabited, pretty much. Until we did, uh, we did a bit of hiking a bit later in the week, but until then, we didn't see other people, other vehicles, other helicopters. You are there and that is your base to explore one of the most dramatically beautiful parts of the world I've ever seen. Hmm. And what kind of, you know, we'd like to kind of get a fix for altitude. So where were you staying and where did you kind of go up to? What kind of drops? Okay, so I knew, I knew you'd ask me this one, Ian. So, and it's all in feet because it's America, It's an American setup yeah. and I was on it with, um, I was the only British person. Their focus is the American audience. They're trying to reach out to the UK. So everything was in feet. And I was like, can we just translate that across to me? And my maths isn't that great. So um, the lodge itself, very simple question, is on the side of a river. So you're pretty much at sea level there, really quite low, right at the bottom. And the mountains, so the max elevation, according to their brochure, was 8,000 feet. So that's about 2,400. They're not huge. They're just vast and dramatic. Yep. Yeah, so you, the highest we were flying up to was there. And then the descents are around... 700 meters long like some of the the on average some were a bit longer some were a bit shorter so it's not um you're not going to like 4,000 meters it's all quite manageable the extremity comes with where you are and how remote it all is yeah and so I'm guessing then you're doing 
multiple drops per day is that how that yeah, was working so think, you must have a guide as well you're obviously out in you said like the middle of nowhere so 100 percent. so the main the, the big thing for 11 is the guiding experience they had a fantastic team of guides first day they did a really in-depth briefing and each day there were two helicopters and six of us so you'd have two guys three in each helicopter, three guests and two guides. And the guides were led by a guy called Mike Barney. He's a Black Diamond um, athlete-sponsored guide. They're all top of the top of their game guides. They heli-ski guide up in Alaska in winter and then go down to Chile to do it there in their winter. So they are with you every step of the way. Um, and, yeah, I think the, on day two, we did nine drops. And that was on a day when we got postponed by an hour because of weather, weather, if we could call it weather, it was a bit of cloud, but you can't, you have to be really careful with where you're going if there's any weather fronts, because again, such a remote remote location. Um, But yeah, nine drops. I think when I put that on my Instagram, people were like, you're kidding me. Like, that's insane. But with such a small group. That that is, I mean, I've talked to a few, you know, heli ski people before. You don't often get that much in, uh, in in that period of time. And what was the snow like? The snow was lovely. The snow was really, really lovely. So it was there, their spring. So the helicopter, the heli ski season operates down there between um, mid September to the end of October. So it was that lovely spring snow, not overly deep, no ice, no just lovely corn. Like I was coming out of all these Americanisms throughout the week. Mm. The more time I spent with with the crew but yeah it was really forgiving and quite soft in places so there was a lot of avalanche conversation and avalanche safety conversations but the guides there they are they're pretty much tracking and mapping this area it's their first season doing a heli ski setup down there and they are as they're in the helicopter they've got their maps and they're looking at the aspects of the slope the steepness of the slope and they're writing all this down because Ski maps don't exist for this part of the world. And that is what is totally unique. So, yeah, it it was really lovely snow and really forgiving for someone who I was a bit worried it was going to be waist-deep powder and I'd be completely out of my depth, but I wasn't. Right. I mean, it sounds great. And I think I'm right in saying that it wasn't just heli-skiing that you did while you were there, because as a base at the lodge, you were able to do a bunch of other things as well. Yeah, so um, the lodge is based, like I said, on a river. So one day we went um, stand-up paddleboarding on uh, River Palena, which is, I was thinking, oh, yeah, I've done stand-up paddleboarding on a very still lake in the Lake District in England. When you get onto a Patagonian river on a stand-up and you're in full dry suits and there's currents and there's everything, it was incredible. It's like everything you do in that region is, if you've done it before, it's like that, but on steroids. It was just insane. We went hiking and I was like, oh yeah, I do a lot of walking. Just the waterfalls, everything around you is maxed out because it's completely untouched by anybody else. And then the the, the top non-ski activity was we went white water rafting on the Fu River, which <clears throat> I'm not a whitewater rafter. I hadn't really paid it much attention. I was going for the heli skiing. And then when they we got there and the guides started talking about the Fudalufu River, you think, oh, I might just Google this thing. It's 
it's one of the top whitewater rafting destinations on the planet. And it was incredible. Such an insane experience. You can do this and you can do heli skiing on the same uh, trip. That yeah. water, you said it is there. Let me just think about this. There's spring. So that water is being fed by snowmelt. So it must have been pretty cold, right? Well, it would have been if, I mean, touch, well, I mean, I'm there. I didn't fall in, um, <laughs> but you're in full dry suits. And yeah. I'm used to wearing a wetsuit and everything over here. I've never worn the full insulated dry suit setup before. Perfectly warm. You wear like ski base layers underneath it for a bit of heat. And then, yeah, you, you feel really insulated um, and safe. And again, that's another another thing that the 11 team do really well. They provide every single piece of equipment that you would need, um, including all the avalanche safety equipment, which was an airbag, shovel, probe, because I was prepared to take all my own stuff. And they were like, no, we prefer if you wouldn't mind using our stuff because we know we've tested it. Um, their you could, I could have took my own harness, but they gear you up with everything you could need. And um, I think that really helps with feeling safe and secure and knowing like, you are in control because heli skiing has a reputation for being quite a gnarly, um, daunting experience. And that was something that really crossed my mind. I think I said to a few people um, before we went, oh, I just hope I'm good enough. I hope I can do this. And I think the biggest learning I took from the trip is when you have 2.3 million acres of terrain, at your disposal and an incredible guide they can pick a mountain a slope a gradient snow conditions that are absolutely perfect for you and none of it felt scary at all because it's so well controlled it's interesting what you're saying there about um, people's perceptions of heli skiing i think uh, for many people it is affected by that opening uh, segment they had in bbc ski sunday yeah. uh, for a few years where you got like a it's actually it's actually faked having talked to yeah. graham bell about it but jumping out of a helicopter people think oh to go heli ski you've got to jump out of a helicopter it's not actually like that at all there's there's no jumping it's all very <laughs> take your time get out safely and the amount of people who since I've come back I've gone oh my you were jumping out of helicopters last week I was like no <laughs> no I wasn't that yeah it was just like ski Sunday and I was like that segment has done heli skiing no favors whatsoever and also it's not real evidently it's a trip of a lifetime now you know you mentioned that uh, maybe they're uh, mainly looking at the uh, the US market or whatever I mean for the podcast if you're listening to this right now well there's a 60 percent chance you're in the UK but 40 percent of our listeners are all around the world with around 20 percent of them uh, in the states so you were invited to uh, go along we need to kind of drop this in there how much would this cost for the trip of a lifetime then again I knew you were going to ask this <clears throat> so it's all in um I had a quick look at the brochure they sent to me these were the prices for last season so the lodge has seven rooms um and a full full buyout so that's taking the entire lodge the heli ski experience the whole thing fully catered everything included it's $31,000 a night, but that's divided across all the people, right? So I've done the maths on this. This is obviously a luxury experience, and it's a once-in-a-lifetime bucket list experience. Like, There's no denying that. We're not trying to say that your average skier is, is this is in their realms at all. I wish it was. I really wish it was. But it works out at about 
£5,300, no, dollars, sorry, dollars a night. And that's 31800 per person for a whole week. And you can take any length of it. In my job, I'm very lucky in the fact that I get receive press releases, go on trips, which are aimed at the super rich. And when I compare that experience that I got for that price, even though it's an insane amount of money, thirty, nearly £32,000 for a week, when I compare that to some of the things I've seen elsewhere offered in the world, it would be a no-brainer. So if, listener, you are super rich and you have a spare however many thousands of dollars and you wanted a once-in-a-lifetime bucket list, list trip, I think I'd put that over a luxury chalet in the French Alps, for example, because you are getting a travel experience as well. Yeah, well, I know that we have listeners on the podcast who've contacted me before who've taken big heli ski trips, for example, to Alaska and places uh, like that. So probably not going to be for everyone, but for someone, you know, what an amazing trip. And thanks for sharing uh, that with us, Lucy. Really, really interesting. And, you know, I don't know if I'll make it myself. I'd love to go to Patagonia, but we will see. Now, if it's all right with you, Lucy, I'm going to turn to Eleanor now, a little bit closer to home and perhaps more accessible for most people. You're based in uh, Innsbruck and Innsbruck is somewhere that I have uh, been before. I was lucky enough to go to Innsbruck uh, actually with my family a few years ago. We went at half term, actually an affordable half-term trip. We were based in Kutai, but we had a good time looking around Innsbruck uh, itself. And I wondered if you could just give us uh, an insight into into the town Innsbruck. Of course. Yeah, I mean, we always say Innsbruck is alpine and urban, and that's definitely true, you know, because you can enjoy the mountains, but you can also enjoy the old town of Innsbruck, which is really beautiful with its many, many landmarks, such as the Golden Roof. You probably have seen it, Ian. Beautiful architecture. So we have two famous people, uh, people, sorry, buildings by, um, yeah, the popular Tahadit. British architecture. Um, so on the one hand, that's the Hungerburgbahn cable car and the Bagisla Jump Ski Jump Station. Um, okay, sorry. So, so this is the architect uh, Zaha Hadid? Yes. So I definitely recall seeing those cable car uh, stations and the funicular stations, I think. And they are, um, you know, very modern. Anyone who's been to London recently and maybe uh, tried some of the new Elizabeth Line um, stations Mm -hmm. or maybe some of the stations on the Jubilee uh, line. Very, very impressive, incredibly modern uh, architecture. Worth going just to uh, to have a look at them. But those uh, those are around the town. You mentioned the ski jump. Did, tell me about that again. I I haven't seen that one. You haven't seen that? It's really popular. Probably you have seen it in uh, yeah on the TV because each year we have the popular Four Hills tournament. So it's one of the four places of the Four Hills tournament. And yeah, there you can see. Crazy people jumping from the Bagisla ski jump, which is really, I would say, brave. Ski jumpers are crazy people, but uh, it's just a great event. So Innsbruck, of course, it's an Olympic city, winter Olympic city and place for, for great events. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the ski jumping and that that Four Hills event, which I think happens in early January. We've had Rob Reese report on that uh, before. And, you know, he really captured the atmosphere that you you get at uh, those events. We've got this mix with Innsbruck of the very modern, but also the very old. You mentioned the the golden roof. I can't remember what its name is in in German or Austrian. What's it? There you go. That one. 
Uh, and the imperial side of things uh, as well. Uh, and then very beautiful um, buildings, multi, they're multicolored, aren't they? Remind me of sort of Amsterdam. The point of uh, uh, Innsbruck, I guess, is the access uh, to the skiing. And you, you mentioned to me before, you know, you ski in lots of uh, different areas. Uh, you were going to, I think Seafelt was one of your favorite uh, areas. But you've got skiing immediately above Innsbruck in Nordketter. That you would take the the funicular design by you know, Zahadi to get up there. That That's very quick to get uh, up to Nordketter? Exactly, about 30 minutes. So you can wide jump into the Hungerburgbahn, so the funicular from the Congress Innsbruck to Hungerburg. And then you take the Nordketter cable car right to the top of Innsbruck, the Nordketter ski area. So it takes about, I would say, 25 to 30 minutes altogether, which is crazy. Yeah, and, that, and that's about 2,500 meters up there, altitude. Exactly. Exactly. So it's one of the highest ones. And I would say it's more for advanced and expert skiers. People who live in Innsbruck just love this, this ski area. So if you if you work in Innsbruck, can you just uh, pop up there in your lunch hour? I guess maybe if you had an extended uh, lunch of hour and do a, couple of, do a couple of runs. <laughs> of course. So, for example, my dad did that back in school. You know, he always said like in the morning he went to school and then in the afternoon they went straight to the North Kedda. So this is what we do. Yeah. I know you said it's advanced. I, I, I seem to remember there's like a run kind of down the, the front face to Innsbruck. Could you actually ski back down to Innsbruck? Is that feasible? It could be. Yeah, if you, if you live near Hungerburg, then yeah it's definitely possible okay so when we were there we went to Kutai I think I'll probably cover this in another episode but that's when the jump was still going on in Kutai and that was you know brilliant fun uh being there and you know meeting all sorts of people like Bradley Wiggins and Jason Robinson etc but what was really uh, great about that was it was a very short transfer for us uh, from Innsbruck Airport, which itself is incredibly near to the town uh, as well. But there are lots of different ski areas that are within easy reach of uh, Innsbruck. You mentioned, uh, you know, Seafelt being uh, one of them. I mentioned, uh, you know, Kutai. What, what would your favourites be? Where, where do you think you'll be this weekend? Probably Seafelt because the great thing is that you know, if you, for example, arrive with your family or with your friends, you have more choices than just skiing. Of course, you can also do some other activities, tobogganing, ice skating. It also has an Olympic center where you can do some, you know, swimming, but it has also wellness area. So it's a great, great spot for the weekend. And it's easy um, to reach by the train or by car. Because all of these destinations we're talking about are like sort of 20 minutes, 30 minutes from mm -hmm. Innsbruck itself. Exactly. So the Stubagaisa Glacier is a 45 drive, I would say, from Innsbruck, yeah. Slightly longer, but at Stubai, you've got the, the, the glacier as well. So yeah. you, uh, you know, obviously the snow is brilliant at the moment, but yeah. you've kind of got guaranteed uh, skiing, you know, with that altitude there. Yeah, it's also great because it has a great, um, you know, snow park, I would say. So if you're up for a little bit of fun, um, then yeah, it's it's a great choice. Kutai, putting that in context, and it was brilliant for us. I think it was probably, I don't know, five, six years ago. So my kids were probably about 10 or something like that. And, you know, decent sized ski area off the memory, there might be like um, 40 kilometers a piece, something like that. So, you know, not going to sustain advanced skiers for a long time. But for a family, it was absolutely perfect uh, uh, for us as well. I mentioned the airport. Famously, I think Rob Reese mentioned this in another podcast, but it's quite a sort of tricky one to fly into, isn't it? Isn't there some ruling that you have to, you know, have a special uh, pilot to be able to fly into there? 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. You need a special license to uh, <laughs> land in Innsbruck. Yeah, but it's an experience, I would say. Um, you know, it's 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 getting a little bit narrower in the end, so that's why it's hard for the pilots to land there. But it's an experience, and obviously, we have a great tool launch at the airport where you have a an epic view, you know, of the mountains. So it's a highlight. And uh, obviously, you can travel um, if you wanted to by train uh, as well. We had Anna uh, from the Austrian National Tourist Board on the podcast before uh, mm-hmm. talking about how she took the night jet down to to Austria. For listeners, if you're not familiar with this, you can actually take Eurostar up to Amsterdam which is still possible this winter. There's some issues to do with the station app, so I'm closing, but it's not mm-hmm. going to affect us this winter. And then take the night jet down from Amsterdam. And you can get off at, uh, at Virgil and access the other uh, Tyrolean uh, resorts, or you can go all the way to uh, Innsbruck as well. Uh, have you ever tried that, Eleanor? No, but I would love to, because I guess it's really comfortable. Also, if you book in a sleeper, um, I guess it's really comfortable. So altogether, I guess Hannah said it was i guess a 12 hour drive so she started 7 p.m in the evening um in london and then went to um amsterdam and then amsterdam innsbruck and then she arrived yeah. in the morning so it's, it's so good i'll put a link to that in the in the show notes i think innsbruck is is good as well as potentially like a, a short break i've got a feeling lucy i may have read an article about short breaks in the uh, in the telegraph possibly this morning where it picked out innsbruck as one as being one of those good destinations yeah we did um we did a roundup uh, an update yesterday of our best resorts to go to for a ski short break and Innsbruck is in there um I've I've flown into Innsbruck before I've never skied out of there but every time I fly in and I've caught the train so I've had to go into the city a little bit further from the airport I thought this is so handy especially for people who want a bit of mixture of culture city city life and ski so yep that was definitely in there yeah well for me uh, i would uh, i would like to go back to innsbruck again and ski nordketa when i was with my kids you know said we'd had that family trip to kutai we went up to uh, nordketa and you know looked at the views and uh, you know went to one of the mountain uh, restaurants uh, there but i was eyeing up all of those slopes that you're saying it's more for uh, uh, you know advanced skiers uh, i was looking at those and thinking yeah that looks that looks kind of interesting and incredibly scenic uh, as well up there with the view looking back over uh, the town and the valley yes and i also have to mention um sometimes in winter we also do have some events up there for example the cloud nine event um so i think it's a great mix you know you have some sport but also um some good music some good food and i think the combination is just fabulous and i think i'm also right in saying that um if you were staying in innsbruck there is like a specific uh, lift ticket that you can buy that covers all of those different it might be 13 different ski resorts uh, in the area so you know, if yeah. you if you depending how you want to access it you go a train or a or drive etc and then choose on the day which one you want to go to exactly it's the ski plus city pass so it's including all 13 ski areas and yeah also some more attractions and also public transport which is really nice so it started at two days for i would say 140 euros sorry that that includes public transport and going into some of the attractions such as the the imperial palace and things like that as well Exactly, yes. So we have some more 
23 offers um, from several attractions. So there's a lot included. Well, I mean, that that's excellent. And I'm delighted to hear that there's really good uh, snow as well. So there you go. In the, in today's episode, we, we've covered the absolute ultimate bucket list trip. And then something a little bit more prosaic. Think about like a, a weekend away. Innsbruck could be uh, the choice for you. So hopefully, listener, you found that uh, useful. Now, we're just going to move to the close now. I enjoy all feedback about the show. I'd like to know what you think, especially about our features. So please do contact me on social at the ski podcast or by email the ski podcast at gmail.com i have had a bit of feedback since the last show in fact getting so many comments coming in from listeners i'm having trouble fitting them in but uh, lupo said you do really innovative interesting podcasts Nobs, who's on the uh, forum snowhead said a very interesting episode of the ski podcast that was the one about uh, jamie grant lane uh, really enjoyed the episode 192 about the dolomites uh, this is an email. Andrew Dollery said, wanted to uh, compliment you on the recent episodes. They've been great. You're on fine form. Thank you, Andrew. Appreciate that. Uh, Andy A said, really enjoying your podcast over the last month. So looking forward to this winter season. And finally, I thought I'd finish off uh, uh, with this one from Tim Raglan, which was really uh, um, a pleasure to receive. He said, as an avid listener to the Ski Podcast, I wanted to thank you for the work you do to put it all together. It was your podcast that gave me the push to work in Verbier last winter. And it was one of the best decisions of my life. So, Tim, I'm delighted to have brought you into the seasonal workers uh, world. I did uh, six of them and I can tell you that, well, I guess if I hadn't have done them, I wouldn't be presenting this podcast now. So really pleased to uh, hear that. Uh, right. If you like the podcast, there are three things you can do to help. You can review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps listeners find us. You can subscribe so you never miss uh, an episode. And you can book your ski hire with Intersport Rent using the code Ski Podcast or taking the link in the show notes. There are now 195 episodes to catch up with. I had a look earlier, 136 were listened to in the last week. Our listens are up uh, 30% year on year. So thank you if you've uh, joined us. There is a lot to listen to in our back catalogue. Just go to theskipodcast.com, search around the tags and categories. You're bound to find something of interest to you. Now, you can follow me at Skipedia and the podcast at Ski Podcast. But for now, I'd like to thank Intersport for sponsoring the show and thank my guest today. Eleanor, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Ian, for having me. Enjoy your skiing this weekend. And Lucy, thanks for joining us as well. No, thank you for having me back, Ian. It's always a pleasure. R- remind me when you'll be next on snow. Uh, I think next for me is Norway in January. OK, well, it's quite a big gap uh, for you, unless there's yeah. any more snow in the Lake District uh, in the interim. <laughs> uh, and finally, listener. Thank you for joining us. And until next time, goodbye. I'm delighted to welcome Eleanor Rotter. <laughs> <laughs> Rotter Popoff. Yes.